0: Hello oh, and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, AKA Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 105. Let's roll. And we are completing week two, going into week three. You know, a lot of overreaction last week. And, you know, hey, we're not about the overreaction. I've actually got a, a true. Dynasty Game Theory guy on this week. A guy who really breaks it down very similarly to me. That's why we both love Gabe Davis. Y'all know it, baby. Uh, But this week on the program, I have uh, uh, Mr. Jacob Sanderson on. You can follow Jacob on Twitter at FF underscore RTDB, which of course stands for Run the Damn Ball. Uh, You know, stealing that from Establish the Run, Run the Damn Ball. We all know Running the football is the way to win. No team has ever knelt down more than three times and lost. So the kneel down to the play. Am I right, Jacob? Welcome to the show, Jacob. What's going on, buddy?
1: I'm doing good, man. This is a fun time. This is like, this is, I think, in my opinion, outside of rookie drafts, maybe the most formative point in the season for Dynasty. I think that there's like I think generally there's like four five really formative points in the Dynasty year. One of those is, of course, rookie drafts. Um, the second is preseason. The third is right now where value is really unsettled. We're getting new information on the rookies. Uh, you know, do you want to buy low on the rookies that are off to a slow start? Do you want to buy high on players that we didn't expect that are racing up the board? I mean, some of the best deals last year that people got were buying high on like Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel this, this time of the year, right? right? Before the market fully caught up. Um, and probably some of the worst for people like buying really high on Mike Williams before he kind of plateaued. Right. So you get to right. play, is it real? Is it not real? Then of course the trade deadline, you know, that's really of course going to be formative if leagues have a trade deadline or don't whatever, but the late season when people are selling people are buying and then the early off season, you know, of course I think is really huge where people kind of have to guess what's going to happen over the rest of the off season, but this is a huge, huge time. And I think it's one of the best times to make trades that, don't just align incentives. Like at the trade deadline, what I love is that it aligns incentives where you can really find win-win deals. I think now is one of those times where usually I'm always trying to look for win-win deals. Right now, I'm kind of not. I'm kind of trying to lay it on the line and say, okay, I think this guy is going up. I think this guy's going down. You know, how can we try and create a lot of value in trades that might be even now? Like I'm not trying to make trades that are ridiculous on the surface. Like I'm not, but how can we make trades that are even now that are going to look Really lopsided in two months and, and I think it's a really fun, fun, fun time in Dynasty to try and do that.
0: Yeah, and, and there's there's a couple different types of leagues out there. I mean, I know you probably play in both types, and those two types are really, really sharp leagues, and then you know, the home leagues that we all grew up playing where there's a lot of loose players who are going to overreact. And I I always tell, you know, we sometimes get lost when we're, you know, in our circles where everybody's so freaking sharp where you're like, dude, no one would ever do X, Y, or Z. But actually, in most of the people who are listening to this league, and including myself, I play in a few of these leagues, there are a lot of opportunities to take advantage of overreactions where people are ready to sell because, you know, Elijah Moore is not, you know, doing anything or what you know, just – these little things where it's like, oh my God, forget it. This is over. You know, even a person like Russell Wilson or Tom Brady, you could probably go in and buy really, really low on either of those players. And Tom Brady could win your league this year. So, you know, it's not like uh, you have to pay up to go get him. You, you know, the guy's probably like, I'm done. I'm my 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 season's over. I've got Tom Brady. I'm not gonna win shit. He's gonna retire after the season. That's the narrative in that person's head. And that's true, but also. He threw like 45 touchdowns last year. Like, you know, played two tough defenses. So these are the types of trades I'm looking to make at this time if I can. And, and that's to go in and buy on uncertainty, buy on fear, and, you know, just reap a ton of value. I agree with you. Now is a good time to start doing that, certainly early in the season.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I'm yeah. with you on, on all that, yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, we're going to talk a little bit of strategy, but, you know, I I've got a platform. You're on it. And uh we both uh we both love Gabe Davis. You I believe you are a little bit higher on Gabe Davis than no, I, I was. I think
1: you're a little bit higher on Gabe Davis than I am.
0: Oh my god. I Maybe mean we'll find
1: out today, I guess.
0: I don't think I don't think that I mean, this is your Schwanz is as big as mine. Uh you know Spaceballs. if you haven't seen it go see it. All right, listen. Um I don't know. I I, I was uh not necessarily that uh high on Gabe Davis this year in in uh, best ball, but actually, you on. were a little bit, and that that sort little, of made me feel. What's that say again?
1: A little. So I think I've like, I think that I've, and I've kind of embraced this. Like, I, I had this bit going for like a week in the summer where I call myself a Gabe Davis radical centrist, um, yeah, basically just right. like everybody. So because everybody has like really, it seems like everybody was really on one side or the other with right. Gabe Davis, and I I like it came into the year honestly not that high on Gabe Davis. Um I thought he was being overdrafted totally. And then there was like a lot of sharp people that were pretty in on him Yeah. and then there was a lot of people that were really out on him. And it started this weird thing where I was like I'm not actually that in on Gabe Davis. But I think that most of the arguments that people are making against Gabe Davis are like in really bad faith and like kind of irritate me. And and honestly uh, that like, that's right. Yeah, that's a right. A lot of my a lot of my like analysis like I don't think there's anyone frankly on in the fantasy community that will spend more time this is probably not bragging. This is like embarrassing, but that we'll spend more time arguing why, like the reason that you dislike a player that I also kind of dislike is not really that great. Right. (laughs) That's kind of how it started. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to do my own game. So I went and did this deep dive on, on Gabe. Um, and uh, it was going to be a whole series um, called The Polarizers. It's too bad I never ended up finishing it, because the next one was going to be on Amon Ra, and I was going to have a really, really plus take on Amon Ra. I mean, I, I, my receipts are out there. I was all in yeah, on Amon Ra. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. Me but, too.
1: I'm with you. But um, anyhow, and, and kind of what I – the conclusion I came to is that, first of all, yeah, I don't actually think that Gabe Davis is like a special talent. No. I think he's a good talent. I don't think he's a special talent. That's right. I compared him to like a Marvin Jones – Devonte Parker, Mike Williams um, type of spectrum in terms of how he gets deployed, how yeah. he's used and, and kind of what kind of targets he earns. But basically the point I made was that each of those players in a vacuum is fairly unspectacular. But when I went and looked at his target earning profile from how many targets he earns, where he earns them on the field. And then we look at players that have that type of profile in really prolific offenses Bingo. You you have a pretty strong chance of getting a top 24 wide receiver. I, I forget it offhand, but essentially I sorted into this profile and, and essentially I said the pool that he was in is about 55% if you're in a top eight scoring offense. And I think yeah. the consensus was that barring injury to Josh Allen, the Bills would clearly be a top eight scoring offense. So I kind of was like, all right, I don't think Gabe Navis necessarily was like the best pick in the world at a median, right? There was other round four picks I, I prefer to him that I have much stronger positions on. But... My stance was like in a best ball format in particular, I think the floor is actually higher than people think. Like the argument people have been making is like, what if this guy's terrible? He might get out produced by Jamison Crowder. He's never even run all the routes. I was like, this is so dumb. Like He's going to run the routes. He's yes. like, he's fine. His floor is actually fine. My concern more was like, am I foregoing a ceiling by taking a guy who I think is pretty capped as a target earner, right? Correct. Like, am I, I'm, I'm foregoing a pretty decent opportunity cost because there's other really good players going where he was going. If he was going in like round five, six turn, I would have had like 40% exposure to him. Right. Um, but he was going, had a pretty good target earners. So I was more concerned yes. about his ceiling. And most of what I came to is like, people are painting him as this like super low floor, but high ceiling asset. And I was like, I think he's actually kind of like a, a not the highest ceiling in the world asset season long, but a really high floor actually. And then I kind of came into it was like, you know what? I think I like him more in best ball because he's maybe not that high ceiling from like a season long perspective. Cause I think he's going to have just a struggle being like a top 12 wide receiver on his target earning capacity. But I think that he could score 40 points in week 17 against the Bengals because he's right. going to run a million deep routes. <laughs> yes. So I was like, all right, sure. Like I'll, I'll take, I'll take this bet. Right. And you have to bake in anytime we're talking about a 23 year old player with a small sample Maybe we're wrong, right? Maybe he's a better yep. target earner than I think he is. Um, and so when I sort of put together the usage profile he has, the floor that I think he has with how he was going to be deployed, and then just the general, like, what if I'm wrong? I was like, I'd probably rather make this bet than make, like, the Brandon Cooks bet. Like, And then what really drove me nuts was every people that were so anti-Gabe were like, I, it's like, who should you take, right? Eric Bimefor, who is way higher on Gabe than I am is like a talent, but he posted like who else would you take in this in this range in best ball specifically, and everybody's like Cooks, a Rob, Juju, and it's like okay, well these guys like Cooks was good last year, but he plays in the freaking Texans, right? right? That's a problem. Um, yeah, what's his touchdown? A-Rob what's 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 Cooks's uh, uh,
0: touchdown upside? It's like right seven. Like yeah,
1: he's not getting you forty in a week. He's never seen to score three yeah, touchdowns like, in a
0: week. Like I, I even asked uh, Drew when he was on the pod. I said. And, and he he dodged this one. I feel like this was disingenuous because I, I basically said if I told you there were four wide receivers in the NFL who scored 15 receiving touchdowns and you had to start guessing them before the season. But I tell you right. there's four and you're guessing them. Gabe would go ahead of like almost all those guys. Like Allen Robinson actually would have been, you know, one of those. You just go to all the high powered offenses because you'd be like, well, wait, 15. Right. I can't be on. it's not going to be Drake London. You know what I mean? Like, right. uh, He could get 150 targets. He's still not getting 15 touchdowns on. They're not even going to score 15 touchdowns, you know? And my point was, it's like, okay, but Allen Robinson
1: and Juju sucked the last time we saw them. Yes. So why are they safer? Right. Just because we've seen it in the past. Like for all we know, A-Rob and Juju, I mean, and I draft, I didn't draft much A-Rob. I did draft a decent amount of Juju, but like, objectively Same. for all we knew though for all we knew those guys could be completely washed
0: yes right like juju the be last dust. time that we saw yep. them
1: on the field they looked like complete dust balls yeah so why is it more risky to draft a young guy who hasn't shown that they're good yet than draft old guys or juju isn't even old but it just seems like he is. Yeah, yeah i know what you mean. Um, but veterans like, or, but draft veterans who have once produced and then stop producing like i don't think that, that that either is like inherently more risky than the other it's just kind of like what bet do you want to make right and i guess to me like I'd rather probably bet on the young player ascending than, than bet on the player bouncing back, especially when we're talking about um a player who's, you know, over the age of 28 now in Robinson, where, where it tends to be the players who are once really good and then fall off a cliff at that age tend to usually remain over the cliff, right? We don't <laughs> yeah.
0: actually see a lot of them yeah. get Lazarus. There's no hitted. second cliff. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Mountain, right. I should say, right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. No, it's absolutely right. And, and uh, of course, pragmatism, you know, comes through again. I really don't have a ton of game in, in, in best ball this year. I maybe a couple times if, you know, if I, if it felt right, but I wasn't reaching for him. And right. yeah, th- you're right. There are other good bets in that range. I mean, Alan Robinson was one of them. I don't have a ton of Alan Robinson either. Cooks is one of those guys, like, especially if you just need, you know, just steady production, but I don't think he's winning you anything. As you point out, like right. you're, you're right. You just kind of DK Metcalf fell a, a ton and probably was a pretty good bet. But I don't know, man. You know, that, that offense right. is scary. How many touchdowns is he going to score? etc., cetera, et cetera. I love Cortland Sutton, but boy, oh, boy. I mean, we'll get there, won't we? But, my, you know, there's just a lot of questions. And, and of course there are. That's why they're being drafted wide receiver 22 to 32. It's like if they were any better, they'd be being drafted higher. Um, but, yeah, I thought the price got a little bit crazy on Gabe, which was fun actually for me. I enjoyed all of this because my Gabe Davis starts from draft. You know, I was like, "Oh, this right. kid's good." And uh, and he got it was an early declare and got drafted in the 4th round and just missed. And I was like, "I think he's I think the NFL missed." Was my take. I think he's a right. second third round talent yeah. that got drafted in the 4th. Like it's that's kind of not even that raw last year, right? Yes, same exa- yeah. I said the same thing for Amon-Ra. I had Amon-Ra personally in my ranks as a second, third round talent. And then he goes in the fourth. So I'm like, I think they missed him too. And it doesn't mean that I think that Gabe Davis and Amon Ra are the best wide. They're not like, Oh, maybe Jamar chase level here. No, no, no. I just think that they're better than their draft capital suggests, which means that they have a chance of outproducing their draft capital, which means they're a value. So of course I tried to get a lot of them in rookie drafts. Gabe Davis ends up being my most owned dynasty wide receiver. And you know, very inexpensively the i never paid a lot for him not once and and now it's like he's getting all this hype i'm like this is my utopia moment so you know (laughs) i didn't need to spend what people were spending this off season to get him i already had him and so for me it's like let's just ride this thing and watch him you know just kind of go down the you know the, the 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 party zone and just have fun with it but now you know yeah i can see how his floor and his ceiling are but I have another question for you. You know, you tweeted something the other day and it was, it, it got me thinking you, you were just kind of tweeting about the zero RB strategy. And, and of course, look, we're two weeks in, things can change again, but it is a pass happy league. We know that it's a high scoring league. We know that these things are trends that are easy to see coming. Uh, it would be very surprising if the league started scoring less and passing less, that would be hmm. a shock to all of us who are paying attention. Yet we still, and running back rooms are increasingly being more split than workhorse. So that would just, just that information alone, period, end of story, would lend you to think that you should be drafting more wide receivers than running backs in fantasy football. So zero running back is sort of a misnomer as it's getting hero running back and all the rest of it. Ultimately, it just means, you know, now it's more of a general strategy to lean into running back uncertainty and don't overweight yourself because there's too much fragility there. Go with the, you know, if you have digs and all these other players, you you just have a more uh, sturdy team, yada, yada. Okay, zero running back strategy and redraft kind of bears itself out. What I would ask you is if you're in a, in a dynasty league, how do you think that really uh, affects dynasty strategy now hmm. and going forward? So I here's like a,
1: I've been thinking about this a lot because, you know, I talk a lot about zero RB in all sorts of different formats. You know, I play baseball, I play dynasty, I play redraft. And there's some things that, you know, people will often say like, well, this works here. It doesn't work here. It works here. It doesn't work here. And well, what I try to think is like, to some extent, you know, I, I get it. Every, every format is different, but I also think like, if, if a strategy is actually broadly applicable year over year in any type of probabilistic game environment in which, you know, the underlying assumptions are the same. And, and that, that extends, I think to each of these formats, there has to be some universal principles of play that work across formats. Right. And so what I tried to think of is like, what are those? So I'm trying, I'm in, I'm trying to rebrand, um, you know, zero RV slash here RV slash modified zero RV slash all that stuff. Yes. Um, What I'm calling it is running back by committee, um, which essentially is a I think it it encompasses all these different strategies. And I think it's on the nose in the sense that it actually hits on, I think, why it's working more now. Right. So, um, of course, we all know running back by committee is in the NFL sense. I think that what we're seeing is that the age of these explosive all purpose bell cows is starting to dwindle. There are not yes. that many of them right now. There's yep. basically um McCaffrey, we think, uh, and it hasn't really happened yet this year, but we think. Um Saquon Barkley, uh kind of Jonathan Taylor. Kinda. He still loses a little too much work to Naheem Hines for my taste. But yeah, in negative fine. pass game scripts. about it. Yep.
0: In negative scripts, he really does lose too much, which by the way, they shouldn't be doing. They should just throw him the ball because he's the best chance for catching up quickly. Right. Because he can house it. Like, it still is backward thinking. He should be a bell cow, but we're not going to get there. Keep going, Yeah, I mean,
1: he had, I, I like, wrote (laughs) about this, is is I actually think that last week was, like, one of the more bullish Taylor games of his career moving forward in the sense that he actually got 70% snaps, 64% routes in a game that they got boat raced. Yeah, Um, Naeem Hines still played the full two-minute drill and stuff, but, like, I I think that the fact that they kept him involved, right, there was one drive where they were down 17-0. They started with two big Taylor runs. Like the fact that they kept him at least on the field um, was encouraging. So anyway, that aside, those are kind of maybe, maybe the three. And then we have like, like the plotting bell cows, right? So like Leonard Fournette Najee Harris, where their, their usage profiles are excellent, but really they're more accumulators, right? Right. So they're, they're going to be good. Uh, Well, I don't even know if knowledge is good. Like, if you're just an accumulator in a bad offense, there's really a ceiling on what you can provide, right? Like, you're yes. in the David Montgomery zone where it's like, okay, like you're useful for fantasy teams. Like, you're you can start them every week, but like, what are you really providing, right? And even if the points per game at the end of the year look nice, how often are you are they winning you weeks in the way that like Jalen Waddle just won you a week, right? Yes. Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown, these guys won you a hardly week, ever. Week one, That's right? right. It's not it's not happening very often. Um, you know, and then you have the guys like the Henry and the Chubb or whatever that, that are, are more based in the rushing. And then you'll have sort of the receiving only guys, whatever. Anyway, point being, there's not that many explosive all-purpose bell cows anymore. And a lot of that is because there's a lot of really good running backs and teams are more inclined to specialize their backfield. They're more inclined to, uh, you know, draft running backs earlier to preserve running back shelf life. They're more inclined to... Uh, not re-sign running backs. And so they're kind of juggling things. They're not investing as much in the position. And when you're not investing as much in the position, you don't feel obligated to use running backs in ways that they might not be best used, where you're more inclined. Your your C-team's realizing comparative advantages, right? I I think that the Taylor-Hines thing is an example where I think Indianapolis knows that Taylor is probably their best running back in all situations, but they look at it and say, what are the situations that Hines is almost as good as Taylor? And we'll, we'll use Hines in those situations because we can't just kill taylor by using them right. in yeah. every single situation right Bingo. so all these different factors and yeah the way that i would refer to it as sort of like running back by committee in the sense that you know i think what most people are doing when they're drafting running backs in round three and round four and round five even certain archetypes in round two is they're just paying to know what running back they're starting they're not actually paying for a different level of production they're just paying for the pre-existing knowledge of who the running back will be even though we know for a fact that either through injury or coaching decision or backfield splits, etc. There's going to be guys that we find in the later rounds or off waivers that we can stream that maybe not all season, but in a given week will project the exact same as some of the running backs that we're drafting in round three, or round four, but they come at the opportunity cost of wide receivers who just aren't good and can't earn targets and who won't be able to provide league winning value for your team, regardless of any positive externalities that happen around them because they aren't good enough to earn the targets, even if they get all the routes, right? We yeah. see a cap where... Once you reach round six, round seven, you know, maybe in, in home leagues, more like round eight, round nine, the wide receivers who have that type of upside to win weeks and win leagues, it just evaporates. And after that, it's basically the only wide receivers who really have that upside of the rookies and some year two wide receivers. But like, after that, if you're taking veteran wide receivers in round 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, like you're, you're not getting any sort of projectable upside. Sure. You might have spike right. weeks, you're not going to know when they're going to happen. They're probably going to happen on your bench, but like you can't expect these types of scenarios. So all of that kind of rambling is to say that I think whether you're playing redraft, best ball, dynasty, if you start with this baseline expectation that elite wide receiver talent, right? Elite talent that's not going to be affected by externalities in the same way that running backs are. You can't just benefit from injuries the same way running backs can at the wide receiver position. If we accept that that is scarce, because it is scarce, right? People think that running back is scarce because projectable upside week to week, you know, might be scarce. But we understand that the game changes, that there's going to be injuries, that there's going to be things that arise. Prioritize talent scarcity, right? Over positional scarcity. I think that leads you to a wide yeah. receiver focused approach over running backs, certainly quarterback and tight end, especially <clears throat> super flex dynasty are focus even above wide receivers. And then leave yourself open to externalities benefiting you, right? I mean that in the sense of, leaving yourself open to running backs on your bench, elevating. I also mean that in the sense that I would prefer most of my dynasty teams, like especially year one out of a startup, year two out of a startup, have flexibility to move in multiple directions early in the season. Yeah. Right. I don't want to be loaded up on all these running backs and have sold all my picks on vet heavy team. There's nowhere to go at that point. Right. right. You only have like one option. It's like either you just, you just lean in and you just hope you don't even have any real flexibility to add to your team. So you're just hoping that it's already good enough. Um, or, things go bad and then you have to like eat massive losses and tear down the whole thing i kind of want to be in positions where it's like oh you know i'm i have like one running back right let's say i've added some extra picks in the startup. okay i have leonard fournette that i uh, that i grabbed in the seventh round he's at rb1 i kind of have a, a hodgepodge of guys I have i don't know cordell patterson I have damian harris yes. I have melvin gordon I'm sitting on my bench i can shift in and out into rb2 I kind of have my wide receiver set. Maybe I have a couple of vets that are really cheap at the end. I have a Jacoby Myers here, you know, a Jarvis Landry there. That I can kind of pop in for that last flex spot and then I'll see how the year goes. If yeah. the year goes poorly, I don't have that many vets. So it should be pretty easy to sell them. If I can't sell them, I don't eat a major loss and I have extra picks to backfill. If the year goes well, maybe I'll buy a little bit, right? And supplement, but I want to have that flexibility. I want to leave myself open to, benefiting from externalities in the sense that I have running back handcuffs on my bench that elevate and I can start them for a week, right? I don't know. Is James Conner going to play this week? I'm not sure. If not, I'm probably going to start some Daryl Williams. I'm probably going to start some, you right. Benjamin, right? And then I have my RB2 solve for, for that week in that league. And then also you want to be in a position where you benefit to what happens to other managers, right? I don't know. Let's say the manager that had Dak Prescott uh, doesn't have a, a viable quarterback opportunity. Um, okay. Okay. Well, I can help him out. Maybe it's better for me to, to lose some points right now to go help him out and, and get extra value back on his side. Um, Or maybe that DAC manager says, like you can go to them both ways. You can say, hey, DAC manager, what are you thinking here? Do you want a quarterback to try and fill in short term or do you want to sell things sell off? I'm open either way. Right. I'll, I'll take I'll take your vets if you want to sell your vets. Um, I'll give you a stopgap quarterback if you want a stopgap quarterback you let me know, right? I'll, I'll make it work to your incentives. And then even if that's not necessarily my ideal scenario, if I'm winning the trade on value, I can go to somebody else say, okay, you know, you want the opposite thing. Let's go make our own deal. So yes. I, think that, I think that all of that stuff, when you're, when you're allowing yourself to get lucky, right? You're, you're allowing hidden points that don't cost you anything in your dynasty startup that don't cost you anything in trades, just like a bunch of backup, timeshare running back, sitting on your bench that you can slot in and out of RB2 to make up extra points that nobody's projecting, it allows you to do all these other different things. And so I think that's, that's kind of where I see it parlaying into Dynasty, where... Yes, it's harder. You can't play the waiver wire. You can't just go grab Alexander Madison off the waiver wire in your dynasty league. Right. I totally get that.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, when I I first wrote the, when I first started the Undroppable, well, when I first, you know, started the undroppables with Chalk and Tommy. Anyway, when I first did that, one of the first articles I wrote was the Dynasty Game Theory Startup Strategy. And it was all centered. Now, it was interesting because it was probably, it was a non-superflex sort of, you know, based uh, article. But the idea was, load up on young stud wide receivers and trade back to do so so that you can have multiple future first round picks and a bunch of stud young stud wide receivers, which still, I think, actually has more relevance now than it did even then. And I think, you know, the only other th- sort of curveball that I th- I, th- I think that we see now is especially in super flex, but even in non super flex is the elite quarterback. You know, it's very important I think, in a weekly scoring uh, scenario to have a, 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 an elite quarterback, which wasn't that way. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a late-round quarterback guy from the beginning. To, you know, love J.J., love the, the moniker. I mean, couldn't ask for a better one. But even he is sort of now, you know, going against that, of course, because it, it, it changes. We're all Bayesian. And, mm-hmm. and to that end, I want to ask you a couple questions. Well, let's go into – let's talk about some teams and some just some – player takes team takes what we think will happen sort of future telling here san francisco 49ers i was asking some major questions about trey lance about whether or not he was good enough to be the type of fantasy asset that we thought he was i had questions you know a lot of people said well look if he's a good passer it's it's over and i kind of agree with that actually because he is pretty athletic but he wasn't jalen hurts athletic like he wasn't he just wasn't like he didn't have big plays like that. He's kind of a little bit more lumbering. Like he just didn't look dynamic and electric out there. Now he's hurt. What do you think of Trey Lance as a dynasty asset? Like how far down in your mind does he go? Because I am petrified to buy Trey Lance right now. What about you?
1: Yeah, my I mean my reaction anytime that there is like a speculative asset where you know, things, um, bad things or good things happen to, uh, I tend to just want to be active in discussions in either direction. Like I'm I'm open to buying Trey Lance, I'm open to selling Trey Lance because I don't necessarily know yet what the final resting place is for his value. Like at, at a certain point, you know, maybe even by the end of this week, certainly in a couple of weeks, like the people will have seen what Lance goes for in other leagues. People will check, you know, trade calculators, whatever it is. And eventually there will be like some general consensus that applies to most leagues about what the going price is on Trey Lance. And I honestly can't tell you for sure whether or not I'll be buying or selling at that price. What I think for now is like, you know, people are kind of just going to go on gut instinct for the time being, because people don't necessarily have access to know that knowledge. People don't necessarily know exactly what the price is going to be. My leagues that I have Lance, um, are, I'm, I'm open to going kind of either way and I kind of want to let the market determine what happens. Like um, I mean, there's some leagues where I'm like really well insulated at quarterback where I can just like stick Lance on IR and kind of just keep trucking. Um, and, and that's, that's fortunate uh, in other leagues. Like it's like, yeah, losing Lance is like pretty detrimental to my chances to compete this year. And so it's sort of like, all right, I'm open to any of three options. You know, like if someone lo- loved Lance wants Lance I'll sell them Lance, you know, try to get a quarterback in return and try to figure out how I'm going to compete this year. If there's not much interest in Lance, then I'm open to either doing like a cheap short-term buy. I'm open to selling off my roster and and redoing it next year if that's the higher value route. So I'm open-minded. I think the issue for Lance for sure is just that the value installation has worn off. Like I'm always really, really into buying high on young rookie quarterbacks with draft capital especially rushing rookie quarterbacks draft capital yeah because like it's almost impossible to not score fantasy points if you're rushing at a high rate so like it was just to me the lance bet was honestly like barring this which is like outside of a 95 percent confidence interval level outcome right um it's like barring this where he literally gets injured before you have any clue whether or not he's good um you basically just get to have like a kind of a free look where it's like you get to score much fantasy points. In the meantime, you have to see if he's any good. And if he's good, great. You're holding for the rest of your life or you're selling it massive value. And if he looks kind of bad, like it's fine. Like you, you're, you still going to be a starter next year. You still going to be scoring fantasy points. You can probably you can trade still him. sell. That's right. You can probably sell him at like 90% of what you bought. Yep. Right. So to me, yep. it was just a pretty easy bet. Correct. Um,
0: You know, at this point, it's a little scarier because. So so I would ask you, Jacob, listen, here's the thing. Like, I agree with you. You See, one thing that I hear you talking and you're sometimes talking like the inside of my brain sometimes, which is range of outcomes. I talk about range of outcomes all the time that as a dynasty player, you kind of have to have like, what possibility is it that he's good? What possibility is it that he's elite? What possibility is it here that you have to have all these thoughts like and, and you just laid it out. I will say this though, at some point or another you also have to I'm just going to do it this way. 50-50. You know, you're flipping a coin, you got to call it one way or the other. Trey Lance works out or Trey Lance busts out. If you had to pick one of those outcomes right now, which one would it be? Cuz I'll tell you mine right after you tell me.
1: Uh, I mean I would never I never think of dynasty in this type of way. I'm
0: I'm, I'm talking about the player.
1: I never think do do? of Dynasty in that type of way. Like, I don't, I don't, like, my, I don't, tr- my, like, ethos for playing Dynasty is to try and be consistently profitable without having to beat the market on player takes ever. Like, that's essentially what motivates me to play. So the idea of, like, taking a binary stance on something is is strange to me, and, and I I try to avoid it. But for the purpose of this podcast and the entertainment of the listeners... Uh, uh, yeah, forgive
0: me. Forgive me. One, one, oh, one oh, or the other. This is This. Uh, ju- hold on. Just so you know, this isn't a spreadsheet. This is a podcast that's fucking entertaining. So yes, you should be answering the question. I just does to he be work out or does yeah. he bust out? Which one do you think it is? Because I will yes. tell you my answer. I've got I, it. I think,
1: I think that the more likely outcome, but not by a lot. I
0: agree. Um, by the way. Is, is that he works. I think he's going to oh. work. And I'm, I'm more likely to buy him than sell him. There you go. So I actually think he's going to be a bust out. I do. I And I'm and I I'm starting to put it all together. There's just a lot of data points that I'm not very excited about. And now one more is the injury. Like, I would ask this. Like, you know, being a data guy, being looking at just how many quarterbacks will have been you know what is he going to be, three years in the league, right? He's going to be th- third year in the league and have as few attempts and games started in both the college and pro level as he has had and still make it. I mean – it is going to be an outlier to see him make it. That's one of the things. It's like this even if like you a, just but go he's down.
1: All, but he's going to be already an outlier in that regard. Like he's, it's yes. like it'll, it'll, he'll be an outlier in the sense that,
0: which is why yes, I was nervous. He'll be, an,
1: he'll be an outlier in that. Yeah, quarterbacks who barely played through two years, you know, don't hit. How yeah. many third overall picks don't very barely play for two years? Like that's not like the sample would be almost nothing. Right? Josh it's not. Like be a, it's not <laughs> no, he played a ton, but a ton his rookie year. I know. I'm, I'm just. Right. I'm
0: throwing
1: Yeah, I just mean like it's. It's that's, that's kind of my issue with, with like the, I don't actually, the hit rate's probably pretty good. It's probably like Aaron Rodgers. That's probably like Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but he also, like Paxton Lynch. Um, yeah. So, you know, one of the two, but Lance was a third overall pick, right? So both those guys, those guys were guys. later
0: picks, right? Exactly. Yeah. You no, know, it's, it's a, it's a so very you interesting, don't,
1: you don't see third overall picks, not play for two years. I mean, and most I mean, Lance obviously would have played, right? Like yeah. What, what, what does it take for this to occur? It takes basically not playing for your entire rookie year. That's already rare. If, if you want to say that's, you know, a knock against him, that, that's honestly fair enough, but he, he barely played. And then he was going to play this year. He got injured in the second game. So essentially the, the conditions that led up to this like strange scenario that you almost never see for a third overall pick is first of all, that a really good team picked third overall. That almost yep. never happens. Mostly bad teams pick third overall. And bad teams tend to start those quarterbacks because even if they don't intend to, they trot out some Trubisky or Mariota or whatever. And it's like, oh no, this guy's bad. And then you start the other quarterback by like week six. Um, in this case, you know, it was a team that was good, that was bad the previous year because of an injury to their other quarterback that traded all the way up, right? And then you get Lance and they have different aspirations and different abilities than most teams that pick third overall. So, okay, understandable. He doesn't play that year, right? Then he was going to play this year injury gets in the way. So I don't know if there was a larger sample on guys that had this scenario happen to them, then I'd probably have a more firm viewpoint, but at this point it's very, I don't know. And so I kind of have to just go on, I don't know if it's gut analytics or if it's my thoughts on the player or the NFL or whatever it's hard to even have that much thoughts on Lance specifically because basically the sample that we have is a few Agreed. games in the NFL in which he was not that good at passing. I don't really hold that against him because most players in their first three NFL games are not that good at passing. Um, and a bunch of FCS games, right? Yeah.
0: I think well, ultimately
1: that's- what it comes down to for me is, is just like from my understanding of how I think the league is going is that if you can play 11 on 11 in the NFL with good weapons and a good coach, you're going to succeed on offense. Like that's why I've been so bullish on Jalen Hurts Right? Um, is that, I think that as long as you're, like, passable as a passer, um, I don't even think you have to be good as a passer. I think if you're passable as a passer and you're a threat in the run game, then you're taking linebackers out of place, you're opening up the middle of the field, and if you have guys that can win on those routes, and they have two of them, in Ayuk and Debo, if if Kittle as well, if you have guys that can win over the middle of the field against frozen linebackers in space, and you have a quarterback that has the arm to make those layered throws, and I've seen Lance have those physical tools then I think that you're going to be able to succeed. So yeah. that's where I'm at I, I, from like a film perspective.
0: I just don't. Th- yeah, but I don't. I don't think he's anywhere close to Hertz as an athlete. I just don't. And that's the other thing. Like if you look at his big play ability, he's he's basically been nothing of a big play player. He's he's kind of been six yards in a cloud of dust. Whereas you look at uh, Jalen Hertz and even Josh Josh Allen early on, they were ripping big big runs and making explosive plays and actually putting a lot of pressure on linebackers. I don't think Trey Lance is putting the type of pressure on defenses that we think or say he is. I'm not so sure the NFL agrees at all with any of our takes, because at the end of the day, the other part of this is that the NFL was ready to give give up on Jalen Hurts because of a perceived uh, you know, inadequacy throwing the football. Now, I think he's shown spurts of throwing the football well, but i I'm not so sure that the NFL, including right now the San Francisco 49ers, believe that Trey Lance is capable of delivering the ball on time and on target at, at the rate that is required to be an NFL quarterback. And they were kind of hoping that would happen. And part of the reason they were hoping that uh, part of the reason that Jimmy G is back is because that was a hope and not a prediction by them. Um, well, I think the because- reason
1: why Jimmy G was back is because they get to have a good backup quarterback. And they'd make more with a compensatory pick than they would cutting him for nothing. Like I, I don't think that G. I think that there was a literally a zero point zero 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 percent chance, not even in the range of outcomes, that Jimmy G. was ever starting a game that Trey Lance was healthy. Like that whole thing this year was, in my opinion, the single dumbest narrative that I've ever seen in fantasy football Twitter. Like I think it was not even in the stratosphere of the range of outcomes. I think Lance could have gone 0-17 and, and he would have oh, played every single no game. no
0: chance. There's no chance. I, I I couldn't disagree with you more on this one because at the end of the day, this is a team you said, a good team with aspirations. There is 0.0 chance that that team was going to be allowed to go 0-17 in today's media, especially with the coverage that this whole thing got. This whole thing got. And so why yeah there, there's the no coverage? chance that so they were we going to have the, the stones to face. just keep him out there and let him throw 25 picks if that were the case. I'm not saying that that was a very likely outcome that they go in 17, but certainly if there were one in 6 and this dude has 3 touchdowns and 8 picks, you were going to start hearing huge calls. First of course, take. You're gonna hear the pardon calls. the interruption. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are going to be yelling at him, gives a shit key. though. Uh, what the media, the, the, everybody, this why, would but, have been, okay, but why are you talking about the media like,
1: Who cares about the media?
0: Because the media, first of all, GMs and coaches care about the media. I don't because- think that Kyle Shannon and, and, and John Lynch could give less of a crap about the media because
1: all the media was doing last year was when they were three and five or two and four, or whatever. Why aren't you starting Trey Lance? Why aren't you starting Trey Lance? Why aren't you starting Trey Lance? They didn't care then. I don't think that they could possibly care well, less probably because they knew the he was
0: not ready. It was was the reason that was given. There was even rumors, you know, that he was not ready this off season. And I would go one step further. The media is one thing, but the media does influence the influencers, the owners. There's not just one owner of a team. There's a lot of high dollar leverage people. Who have a lot to say about what happens with their investment, which is an NFL football team, and the media gets gets singing and they're embarrassed in their circle of friends. And their circle of friends, their other rich guys, are going, Hey, why the hell are you starting that stupid ass Lance when don't didn't, aren't you paying Jimmy G 25 million this year? What the hell are you guys stupid? What's wrong with Kyle year. Shanahan? So Six trust me, the noise game. doesn't just come from pressure from Skip Bayless, but the, the you know, Skip Bayless is gonna make Kyle Shanahan do shit. But the ownership of a team is definitely going to feel pressure. And the person who writes your paycheck, I guarantee whoever that is, whoever writes my paycheck, gets to tell me what to do. And they're going to tell him, put this motherfucker in. So it's not just a matter of job security. It's also a matter of who gets to actually make calls. And I think at the end of the day, you're not letting this team sink that way without giving this guy a chance. So I think that's a... It's a. It's not even close to the right take. They definitely had Jimmy G in there as an opportunity to play. Look, I don't think that he would have played a two and three and the guy's kind of middling. No chance. They're not just going to uh, monkey with it. But if he was an abject failure, Jimmy G was there as insurance and or injury, which he's point. playing now. Yeah, injury, of course. I mean, he was... Like, by the way, Jimmy hold on. G- Jake, Jake, we're getting to this point in the show. Everybody loves it. Ready? Oh, yeah. All I right. Love that. Continue with the thought, please. The,
1: I mean, the Jimmy G thing keeping him was one of the only things that the San Francisco 49ers have done in the last couple of years that made sense because (laughs) nobody else wanted him. He's not good. Like, sorry to break it to everybody. Jimmy G's not a good quarterback. Like any other NFL team could have had him for a bag of footballs and they decided not to. And then the 49ers were basically faced with a choice of two options. They could either cut him um, or they could keep him at a, I think it was a $18 million pay reduction. So they could keep him for cheap, $6.5 million, backup quarterback money, less than Tyrod Taylor is getting this year. Um, and then they would also get a, a round three compensatory pick versus if they cut him, they would get no pick. So it's either you get a round three compensatory pick and a good backup quarterback, or you have Nate Sudfeld as your backup quarterback and no compensatory pick. Like the choice seems very clear when those are the only two options and nobody actually wants to trade for him. So I don't think that there is was some, uh, you know, a crazy conspiracy theory about Jimmy. It's like what I think anybody would have done unless you have such little confidence in Trey Lance's mental state that you're like, oh, if we keep this guy on the roster, he's just going to simultaneously combust. In which case, yeah, he's almost certainly going to bust out if that's uh, the reality. But like in terms of their options that they had at the time... It, it seems very clear that they took the obvious option and it's paying dividends for them as a football team. Like they're not Trey Lance Dynasty managers. I don't think that he was at any risk of losing his job, but certainly any quarterback's at risk of getting injured. Uh, and now they have a chance to actually compete for the Super Bowl this year versus if they didn't have Jimmy and this happened to Lance and they're starting Nate Sudfeld, then the only thing that they would be competing for is to find out how high the Miami Dolphins pick in next year's draft. So I think that it's it's very, very clear why they picked up Jimmy. At this point, a lot of it's moot. I mean, we're never going to know how many games Lance is going to start this year, etc. I think next year is the more crucial year because at the end of next year is when they have to decide on his fifth year option. So I think that this year, to me, was a total freebie year for Lance uh, where he could basically do whatever he wanted and it was going to have no ramifications on his job security. And then next year was going to be the prove-it year. I think the problem is now his prove-it year gets pushed back a year where he doesn't have a free year. He doesn't get to make mistakes for a year. He has to prove it next year to be able to earn his fifth year option. Um, And then he's going to do that potentially with less mobility, which is a very key component of his game. And he's going to have to do that after shaking off a lot of rust. So I think that he's in a very difficult position in year three and the bet I do think is fundamentally changed from where it was this year. So I could not possibly disagree more with everything that you said about Lance going into this year. I think it was completely insane, but now that we'll never find out, I think that certainly he enters with a lot of heightened pressure next year.
0: Yeah, the the, the Lance defenders certainly got off the hook because I think we were going to see a pretty disappointing season from the 49ers and Lance. That's just my prediction. And of course, I can still get absolutely dunked on with that take next year when he comes out and torches the league. And you know what? I'll be happy for him. I, uh, I don't root against players but I'm certainly here to bet against them or bet for them. And my chip would be betting against them. Although I think that's probably where the sentiment is. And I actually think even though I'm betting against them, I think there's actually going to be some pretty cheap buy opportunities for Trey Lance. And I would be interested in trying to attain some of those cheap buy opportunities for the exact point that you laid out earlier, which is that basically at the start of next season, he's still going to have that same value proposition that we just were expecting this year, which is now maybe with a little bit more team fragility, especially depending upon how they play this year. Obviously, look, it's going to be quite interesting. You you did say two things out of both sides of your mouth, though, that when you said Jimmy G isn't good, but yet they have Super Bowl aspirations. I don't know how that's possible. He's got to be at least, you know, hashtag somewhat good if uh, if they're like going to make Super Bowl. Sudfeld. Well, but I mean, you know, if he's bad, then they're, they're not going to any playoff games, let alone. a well, Super He was Bowl. bad but, last year and, and he won two playoff games while trying to while doing his best to lose them. I, I tell you, he is erratic. But I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if you listen to Establish the Run, but on the PSM model, he's about uh, I think he's, you know, he scores the highest in history. So I know. think that Jimmy G is incapable of leading a team to a Super Bowl, but I think that he can be. A he passenger. has done that. Though, I don't actually. think that he
1: was. No, but he didn't lead them. He was. I he, see what was, you mean. I mean, right? Like yeah. I'm saying, he
0: can be the gotcha. he can yeah, be yeah. the
1: quarterback on a team that happens to win a Super Bowl, but they won't win a Super Bowl because of Jimmy Garoppolo.
0: Mm. Like,
1: and and the 49ers agree with that. I mean, he Otherwise, just missed a, a throw
0: too, didn't he? To win it, I mean, I had money on the Chiefs in that Super Bowl, so yeah, exactly. He that whole the thing throw was amazing. I loved like, every minute of it, but man, oh man, that throw I mean, wasn't it Emmanuel Sanders too? Oh my god! Right.
1: I mean, look moving at the on. playoff games that he's won. Right? Like he's mo- won four mo- playoff <laughs> moving games. Moving on, he's won four playoff games. He played. Uh, horrifically in two of them. And he, and he completed five passes. In look, he's, model. he's an he's infuriating
0: player, but he also has some of the most amazing, uh, win loss numbers. And look, you can say, Oh, it's the system. The other quarterbacks in that system don't have that win loss number. It's just amazing. So like I said, I think it's the PSM model carrying him. Um uh, I mean, that's on. part
1: of why I'm so in on Lance. Like, I, I think that, that like Jimmy is, is horrifically bad, um, as a starter not like as a backup. He's a good backup. But like I think he's one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league. Look at all the games they won. I think that Lance can be one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league. They'll still win a lot of games. Like I think I look at Jimmy very much like I view Jared Goff in in Los Angeles who's now cool. since been exposed um on the Lions uh and in the later years in Los Angeles where like guys I mean, the Lions are
0: the Lions are good. We're getting there. It, uh, if it, so let's move on. Philadelphia Eagles, are they the best team in the NFL? Half a trick question. No, but they think they're the best team in the NFC. I there think. you go. Yeah. Is Jalen Hurts everything Trey Lance wishes he was?
1: Uh no. Uh but I do love Jalen Hurts. Um I think that Lance has Lance Lance has, has better passing tools, albeit they're very erratic, but I think that is he has he has more natural arm talent. Hurts is the more dynamic runner. Lance, Lance is more of like a cam esque runner. Like he's he's getting he's a guy where like I want Lance running option on third and three. I don't necessarily think he's going to break eighty yard touchdown runs.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so we're going to play quick this or that. It's who you like better in dynasty? Just quick Let's with Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I know you don't do rankings and you hate him, but if you had to for your life, oh, you had to pick. I'll take Just it.
1: I'll do yes, this. this guy or that guy. Okay. Strong Jalen Hurts feeling, so let's do it. Me
0: too. So I'm going to see if you are stronger than me, which I don't know if it's possible. I love this this Jalen Hurts in in What's the format? D- Sorry, like what, Su- what are we talking super about? flex? You know, we can you can split the middle. Four. I mean, mostly we'll what, see you what you I want to know is is it
1: four point passing touchdown or six point passing? Five. Touchdown? We're going five. Okay. Yeah, just to split the
0: difference. Yeah, okay. thank you. Super I'm flex. Assuming PPR. Obviously. Yeah, super flex PPR five point yeah. pass.
1: People I'll make this point really fast. People yes. don't ever think about this. Quarterbacks way more valuable in half PPR. People don't realize this, but they are because yes. they make up a higher percentage of your roster score.
0: Yeah. And of course the running quarterbacks are way more valuable in four point, you know. Yes. I like to play six point, you know, it, 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 it's just so much more fun for more points. Damn it. Um, and I play half point PPR with half point first down. That's the, that's okay. the best way. Then you don't overvalue points per perception, but you don't undervalue the, 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 the receiver position. Anyway, moving on. Okay. Yeah, that's the, that's the way to go. It's, it's a settled equation. Anybody playing anything else is just, they don't, they're not paying attention. All right. Joe Burrow or Jalen Hurts in dynasty. Jalen Hurts. J- uh, Jalen Hurts or Deshaun Watson. Sean Watson. Ooh. Okay. So I already beat you. Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray. Oh. Okay. Ky- Kyler Murray. What's, okay. I mean, what's really the difference
1: between those guys? Like, you're just getting one. One has the contract, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's. Well, so that's right. I mean, um, you don't think I thought Jalen you we're going to
1: start lower than Joe Burrow? Like, I thought we could at least build up to Joe Burrow because nah. that's kind of my hot take. But I thought we. Would lead yeah. I mean, up to that.
0: Y- Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott. Oh, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, yeah. I mean Russell Wilson, Justin Fields. I mean there's right, a I thought Trey we Lance. start with oh, like right. Jalen Lawrence Hurts, Jalen Hurts or Ross. Trey Lance. Oh, Jalen Hurts. Oh, Yeah, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. 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 I've got him I've got him at my quarterback 5. I mean, I'm okay with Murray and cool. Watson He's being right. ahead of him, but yeah, I mean, let's go. I mean, what more do you want? He's winning I'm, on I a great team. I would take
1: Watson over Murray by the way. Uh, that's more like me being high on Watson, obviously not as a human, but yeah, uh, yeah. as like right. a container. that. No,
0: I'm with you. I think um, you know the closer and closer we get to him coming back, the more, like, literally, the more and more he rises in my ranks. Because, like, if a guy's gonna play, if a guy's suspended for the next three years, well, he's way the fuck down on the ranks. But once three okay. years becomes three days, well, then he's back in. The, so, yeah, I, I just have been moving him up as we get closer. And so, and you know, and if I think yes, I agree with you. In a vacuum, uh, once Week Ten arrives, I think I'll have Watson ahead of Murray, and I agree with that. Um, you know, I I mean, Hurts, Murray Watson, that seems like a little bit of a, a tear. Don't you think Jalen Hurts is going to get a contract, if not with Philly, with whomever? I mean, he's getting a contract.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think for sure. I think that, I mean, the only thing I would say is that if if he doesn't get the contract with Philly and he ends up going elsewhere, then his dynasty value is going to take a hit.
0: Yes. Right? And yes. I think
1: right now his dynasty value has Peaked. A more realizable yeah. negative tail than like, 100%. like Kyler 100%. Yeah. Kyler can go out and have like three straight horrific games, and his floor, dynasty value wise, is still like pretty stable. Yes. Whereas I agree with this. Or, 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 I mean, let's just talk about it. Just happened with Trey Lance, right? Kyler Murray can have a season ending in, injury tomorrow, he loses value, of course, but he doesn't lose that much value. Um, like if Jalen Hurts um, has the Trey Lance injury tomorrow.
0: Like, he loses more value than Kyler Murray loses. Yep. Who, I would say, who's more likely to get hurt? And then second question would be, who's more likely to win your league this year? I just, I think Jalen Hurts is that guy this year. I really, really like him to win my league this year. Yeah. Like, right? So, I always say my dynasty rankings during the season become closer. They're not exactly, but closer to redraft rankings. And then in the offseason, they get a little bit more youthful and, and, and enigmatic than, you know, now it's like pragmatic. Like, like you said last year with Debo Samuel and Cooper Cup. Pre season, like Cooper Cup was like a seven to ten round dynasty mm-hmm. startup pick last yep. year before the season. Like he was not a fourth, fifth round. Oh pick. yeah,
1: I like traded up to get him at the end of the seventh in one league, and people there you were go. like, oh my god, that's such a condom trade up, like right? What a ridiculous, right? Thing, right? You like, know what I oh, mean? Man, what are you doing? And
0: so then like. During the season he moved way the fuck up because he was having a triple crown season. Yeah. And then in the offseason he moved back down again. And then he week one, it's like, well, move back up. You know, so there is a because what he is right now matters. You know what I mean? Um, you know, dynasty is still a year-to-year uh connection of yeah, you know, it's not you know, it's not a lifetime achievement award. It's like, you know, who's gonna win your league this year? And that team just might have Jalen Hurts on it. Uh, the way and that I'll they're I'll say playing. this, I
1: think it's rational because. The further you
0: get in season, the
1: more you actually know about your team Bingo. and the more it actually matters that a team. like, I don't really want to hold a bunch of those short term guys when I don't really know what my team is going to be yet. Exactly. Right? But like when you're actually in season and you're looking at it and you're like, okay, it's no longer one and 12, three teams are tanking, three other teams um, yes. now have to tank. Um, I'm seven and one and I'm going to have a buy right? Like now it's like, yeah. okay, like I if actually I know a little player bit more X, about what the value I proposition
0: is, yes. right?
1: So I, you actually know more about your team, whereas Bingo. I don't want to be buying early. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I was counting on Trey Lance, one of my quarterback positions. Now he's hurt. I was counting on, I don't Dak. know, um, CD Lamb as, as my wide receiver one. Yeah, a Dak you know, CD. First, so now he's a wide receiver yeah. two, right? Like all these things happen. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, God, i Funnel kind of went all in on, on a pair of nines, right? That's right. It's not great.
0: That's exactly correct. Speaking of going all in on a pair of nines, is it time to panic for the Cincinnati Bengals as a team? It's time for them
1: to. I mean, they need to not have the coach that they have. Um, I think probably. That, yeah. my, my, I had a hot take last year, which was that, like, provided that they didn't win the Super Bowl, which they didn't, was that basically their playoff run was really detrimental. To their long-term franchise yes. in that they have a really bad coach but they like won some games in spite of him um based on the raw talent of some of their players and some luck of just continually winning close games and like i think that had they lost that game at tennessee um then they are a better team going forward because they would have had to look inward and they would have been like, oh, we have like systemic issues here on this team. Like people forget that Joe Burrow took a zillion sacks in that, in that game against Tennessee, right? Yep. Um, and I get it. They improved the O-line a little bit. Here's the issue. Their offense is so stale. They don't use any form of motion. They run way too much on early downs, um, like, like egregiously so. And Zach Taylor at this point has made clear that like if he doesn't believe his O-line can hold up, His answer is not to create more efficient, easy throwing opportunities. It's to just run Mixon for three yards when everybody knows they're going to run Mixon for three yards and then put Burrow in more obvious passing situations on third down, which is where he's going to face even more hits. Like it doesn't make any sense. What they need to do is they need to get more motion. They can't just, their entire offense is reliant on Chase or Higgins to either. Like, just get open or just moss a dude when a when a ball gets tossed up to them. They don't put their players in advantageous situations. They don't actually care. It's like Cliff Kingsbury. It's the same idea. They're just like It's just like dudes go make plays, Jimmys and Joes over X's and O's, and it puts them at a disadvantage. So, you know, they, they, they're in a serious issue if they continue to just be reliant on raw talent to win them games instead of trying to put their raw talent in advantageous situations.
0: Yeah, and it was kind of a, a bit of irony that, you know, the, as you point out, I think they had like, what, 12 sacks or something in that Tennessee game and somehow won. And then the last final play of the Super Bowl where Jamar Chase was breaking wide open, uh Joe Burrow couldn't deliver the ball because literally his defender had slipped down, couldn't deliver the ball because he was being pressured immediately by a bad offensive line. And I remember, you know... <clears throat> When, and I was one of them, I was advocating for Panay Sewell over Jamar Chase. And I think that's a mistake in hindsight, although Pene Sewell's great. And I do think that you still win by building the offensive lines. Who knows, you know, if it's the wrong move, obviously Jamar Chase, elite, legendary talent. I'll give him everything. So it's a the right decision in that way. But ironic that that was the play when you saw the thing, you know, I don't know if you remember the, 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 the graphic where it was like, you know, uh, any offensive line and Jamar Chase wide open, okay. you get sacked. You know, any wide receiver why, you know, with a good offensive line, you, you can actually deliver the ball to him. I think that they just didn't fix that in the offseason because again, two games in and he's being pressured and sacked way, way too much. And I don't know how they now granted they face two Great pass rushers. I mean, you know, Ch- uh, Parsons was just unbelievable. I almost said Chandler Parsons, which is unbelievable. <laughs> Pull from the old Houston Rockets. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But um, uh, Micah Parsons, and um, to, to shows you, I'm old, but um, but I think that's a, a an issue. And you're right. There's some. There's other issues besides the offensive line. I think with a good offensive line, maybe. Zach Taylor would look a little smarter, you know, running right. the football with, you know, tends to work if it works, but yeah, there's, there's big problems there. And I'm very, mm-hmm. very worried. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs and I think it's going to be a rough season for them. Um, it, and I don't yeah. know that that's a big problem for Joe Burrow really, but I certainly don't like him being hit that often. It, it really starts to put his health in question.
1: Yeah. I mean, their offense right now is either run the ball. Um, throw the ball intermediate or throw the ball deep, right? Whereas if you have a bad offensive line, what you really want to do is you want to throw the ball short, yeah. And you want to you want to create, you know, whether it's with screen passes, whether it's with bunch formations, whatever it is, yep. motion. Like Play you action. want to use yeah. horizontal motion play action, bunch formations, ways to get wide receivers to pop open quick, get it in their hands and let them create yards after the catch, right? Um, their offense right now is like the offense that you run if you have a good offensive line, which is <laughs> yes. we're going to run the ball a lot. And then when we throw, we're going to do shot plays down the field because we're going to have a seven-step drop. And we're going to have lots of time for that to open up, but they don't have the time. And they're
0: running empty a lot too, which is also a problem. So they're running empty, leaving guys on an Island. Now the reason they run empty, this is a very interesting because you you know why it's because Joe Burrow loves multiple, like he likes five, you know, uh, receivers in the pattern because he can read it better and, 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 and throw better, which is totally fine. I get that, but you still have to be the coach and be like, you know what though? You can't do it. If, our right tackle is getting fucking turnstiled every play. Maybe we have a, a you know a, a guy chip on the end, you know, running back or a tight end line up there, and just sort of change the schematics of everything so that you know, I mean, they they have to do something schematically to even help Joe Burrow do what he's best at. You know, they're just yeah. it's just a, it's like it's like toss a coin. You know, sometimes I get absolutely annihilated and fumble the ball and they you know turnover or oh look I got a big play. It's like that's not going to be good enough as you point out. It's something
1: that's always fascinated me about the Rams. Like, and and I mean, Zach Taylor, of course, comes from um, yeah, the Rams McVay Rams-McVay scheme. Is that they're always very big on having five out in a route on every play. They always have one of the highest rates of route participation for their running backs, but they don't actually throw to the running backs, right? Time, which is so fascinating to me. Is like that so much of an emphasis of their offense is we're gonna have five out in a route, but like what you see with like Washington, the Scott Turner offense has also generally been, we're going to have five out in a route all the time. They use the running backs, running routes on almost every pass play. They use their tight end on a route in almost every pass play, but they throw to the running backs and tight ends a lot. Whereas the like Rams um, school is very much like, we're going to have our tight ends and running backs out in a route all the time. And then we're not going to throw to them, which is like really weird. Like, it's not like their offense is ever like scheming that many plays to their running backs and tight ends. So you'd think that it wouldn't hurt them that much if they would keep them into block more, which it's like an offshoot of the Shanahan scheme and the Shanahan scheme consistently keeps tight ends and running backs into block to the point where like Shanahan often will just be like, yeah, I don't even need a third down running back. I'm just going to use Kyle youth check. I'm going to block it right. half the time, or he's going to do a little chip release or something like that. I mean, fantasy <laughs> managers are always infuriated by how much George Kittle is past blocking. Like, yep. Their scheme is very different. So if we're going to use play action, we're going to use running backs and tight ends to max protect. We're going to use more two wide receiver sets, and then we're going to give our our players that we want to scheme the football to more time to get open. And the Bengals, like clearly, are designing a scheme that's based around. We're basically only throwing to T Higgins, and Jamar Chase, yet they aren't. Yet they're just using these other guys running routes. I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't think it's it's coherent.
0: No, it it certainly isn't. And it's always, you know, again, I'm come from the Bill Belichick school of football where I've just watched him year over year. And every single year we'd we'd look, you know, and I, 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 some of the shine is off this Bill Belichick situation. He's getting old. I get it. But in his prime, when he was really, you know, the sharpest guy in the whole league and way ahead of the curve, et cetera, every year we'd look and be like, I wonder what offense they're going to run. You know, it was like, uh, Randy Moss came They're like oh they don't throw it deep you know what are they going to do with it? is he going to just play in the short passing it's like of course not they're going to design an offense based off of what they have and I, you know you just don't see that enough in the NFL where they actually say okay what are our strengths and weaknesses what can these guys do oh you can't pass block well we're not going to ask you to do a lot of mm-hmm. island pass blocking we're going to give you help when we pass block because you're not very good at that but you're a damn good road grader so we'll run behind you right? it's like all these things like some of these teams are like Well, whoever we've got there, we're just going to keep them on an island. It's like that's probably a bad move. Uh, The team I was going to move to is Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to ask you a little bonus question here uh, because it's something that I've been thinking about. And it's – if I would asked you this two months ago, it would have been a chuckle fest. You'd be like, dude, whatever. But you asked the question now, and I think the answer is still obvious, but it's still a question now. Who would you rather have in Dynasty, Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence?
1: All right, I'm, I'm starting to learn how this podcast is going. So this time, instead of doing the preface with the macro take, I'll just give you an answer, and then I'll do my macro take. Yeah. Uh, my answer is Joe Burrow. Yeah, it's still uh, Joe gets, Burrow. Correct more the correct NFL answer. And he has better weapons. Uh, it's, it's the
0: correct answer, by the way.
1: Yes, uh, it is the correct answer. That being said, my real answer is like I just – I don't – I talked about clusters before at the wide receiver position and kind of sorting them by age. And I think that the way I do it at quarterback is I have you know by age and I also have by archetype you know do they rush do they not yeah and like i'm just not like this stream of quarterback all the way from the best one which is you know herbert all the way down to from herbert to burrow to uh lawrence to Dak to matthew stafford like uh whatever it is mac jones to uh all these guys i just don't roster like any of them like if i i only roster the cheapest pocket passers which is usually like Kirk Cousins every single year um, so like I, I only roster the cheaper of the pocket passers and otherwise I'm trying to get the rushing guys so like I'm I think that Trevor Lawrence right now for like this specific window in time might be a pretty fun buy in the sense that I don't know I mean you asking me this question on the show maybe this is the start but like I don't know yet if people have fully recognized that yes the tiny sample but he's playing really really good this year yes and He's not running that much, though. That being said, you know, I think that, like, we've seen time and time again that the market will, at least in my estimation, overvalue these quarterbacks that don't actually rush that more if they're young and if they're really good passers. So if you can get in now on Lawrence, um, you know, maybe trade burrow for lawrence plus something especially after burrow is a good game which i'm sure he will at some point um yeah and then ride the elevator up with lawrence because one of these games they're going to be in a back and forth shootout he's going to have four touchdowns so everybody's like oh my god trevor lawrence exactly we thought he was he's a round one startup pick etc 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 then maybe you can trade him for jalen hurts maybe you can trade him for kyler murray maybe you can trade him for deshaun watson um you know something like that that which which is more interesting to me right so i wouldn't mind getting in on lawrence now but i'm probably like <laughs> Whenever Lawrence ascends, if he ascends to the point where people are really, really pumped about Lawrence, I'm all, there's almost certainly going to be a tweet for me being like, "You should sell Trevor Lawrence for a guy yeah. who runs."
0: Yeah, and that's that's kind of my point is I think that you know I think he I, you answered it because I think he is you know I agree with you with, uh, with clustering and things like that. It's like I'd happily sell one guy for the other in the same sort of tier or grouping. And gain profit that's how you win in this in in, in this game of dynasty football i'm with you 100 honestly the listeners know that and 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 you're echoing that which of course is something that we talk about all the time on the show but what's interesting is i feel like trevor lawrence was a step below you know Tre- joe burrow you know was perceived and valued in dynasty circles as a top five to eight maybe ten if you're if you hate him Top five I said eight. this by
1: the way. At the time, this is not like me misinformationing. I think yeah. he was the worst value in Superflex Dynasty. By yes, a one there you shot go. Yes. all off season. This is not a retrofit take. I yes. have this receded. Um, my I have fifty Dynasty leagues that I'm in. That's 5-0. It makes me a, a serious maniac. I have zero Joe Burrow. He's one of the only quarterbacks I have zero of.
0: Huh. Well, the, Drew must hate you. You and Drew,
1: huh? Well, he even finally pivoted this off to be clear. Like he, I'll give it to Drew. I like there's a lot of times where we've done the opposite. Like Hurts was very much the opposite, where I was like high, and then eventually after the season, we we're like now nah, we're kind of at the same spot. Yeah. Burrow was kind of the was the exact opposite, where I, I was too low on Joe Burrow. Clearly, yes. he he very much rose in value. Um, yep. That being said, like I was like, well, I was clearly wrong. I wish I had more because he rose a lot of value. If I had yes. more, I'd be selling. <laughs> uh, but I'm certainly not going on and buying in and all my new startups. I'm like not a chance in my opinion. Like he was like routinely going above Lamar Jackson in startups. Like that was not an uncommon thing to see, which is
0: insane. Yes, I agree. I totally agree. I think he was way too expensive. But in 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 that vein, he's fallen. I think Trevor Lawrence has come up and I have yep. them back to back. You know, I, I have them right there. I don't think, I, I, I do prefer Joe Burrow. I do, but I well prefer whatever the value difference is between the Same. two. And I also... I actually had uh Trevor Lawrence ahead of Trey Lance in, uh, in Dynasty. I would have absolutely, you know, pivoted off Lance for Trevor uh, because his value was so much higher, but I actually felt like if I were choosing one on the clock, need to draft one, I'm picking Trevor Lawrence uh, for my life. I just feel like he's got a better shot of being a, tw- you know, 10-15 year quarterback in the league, and that's really what I'm looking for. Um, you know, at least to some degree. I mean, you're right. I'd much rather have, you know, uh, uh, the high end rushing quarterback, of, of course. But if you think about it, you know, Herbert and Mahomes are not high end rushing quarterbacks. They're high end passing quarterbacks. I actually don't think that Lawrence necessarily, Yeah, there's a small chance he gets there. But Lawrence has basically doubled his touchdown percentage and cut in half his interception percentage, albeit small sample, two games. But So far, the trajectory is moving in the direction that it would make sense that it would, you know, because he was not, you know, and his completion percentage from 60 is up to 68. So it just in two games, this whole thing looks way different. He was so, so good this last week, guiding his team, 25 of 30. I just think that he's probably exactly the guy we thought he was. If we look at guys like Peyton Manning and others in their first year in the league as a as a as a rookie starting on a bad team with starting every game, they've traditionally not done very well. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, both had the luxury of sitting for their first year. Who knows what they would have done in year one on those teams? And they played on good teams. So, anyway, long story short, I do think Trevor Lawrence is going to be just fine. And I, I you know, I, I kind of it's not really a victory lap. It's just more of a I think the tea leaves had more success uh, outcomes for Trevor Lawrence than failure outcomes, given how bad everything else was around him.
1: Yeah. I was able to do, uh, in a league that I'm completely tanking, like one of my most aggressive tanks, I was able to get Lawrence and a 24 first, um, for Dak Prescott in the off season. And oh, I, great. I'm loving yeah. watching what that happens. Like I yeah. think, and I'll, I'll say this, like I'm, I have Lawrence now. like, I don't have a lot of Lawrence cause it wasn't a guy that I was prioritizing. I Me too. To Prioritize the rushers. Um, like last year in all my rookie drafts, like if I was on the clock at one hundred and one, I would take Lawrence by default because I just yeah. felt like I didn't want to give away the value all on the clock or trade but out. My goal was always like, I want to trade back and I want yep. to get Lance or I want to get chase or I want to get Pitts. Yep. Um that's Right. Yeah. yeah. So I don't have a lot of Lawrence, Me but, neither. Um I, but yeah, that's, that's one where I do and I'm not like looking massively to sell. Like I have, some Tua that I don't necessarily really want and I'm like oh my god I have to sell my Tua this week like please 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 can I find a good deal for Tua this week it's a great Whereas time Florence, to sell Tua I'm just letting it marinate in the slow cooker I'm just like all right yeah. we have like a nice we have a nice like roast beef here we have in our slow cooker we have a nice sauce going on we're just gonna let it marinate for a while and there'll probably come a time where I want to sell them but for now we're just marinating we're just marinating
0: yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And and let's shift for, you know, the people. They love, you know, I know you you won't say whether you like this guy better than that guy. You refuse to do it. No, you will. You will do it, damn it. We're going to talk about the rookie wide receivers. I think it's very interesting uh, as to whether or not we're sort of buying in or shying away. There's a lot of them. If you were to sort of re-rank them, I guess, at this very moment, after week two, Who would be your wide receiver one out of the rookie wide receivers so far and going forward?
1: Right now, it's the same guy that it was in the offseason for me, which is Drake London. Okay. And I think that the top three have been so impressive that if Drake London is not your wide receiver one in the offseason, I don't see a particular reason why you have to shift to Drake London. Right. Um, I think that for me, London was the guy um, he had – the least questions in my estimation. I mean, I'm data mm-hmm. focused first. I'm not film focused. So I understand that other people had separation issues, whatever. Not not really a big concern for me. So Drake London to me, he was the alpha. He was the guy that came on age 18, uh, yep. absolutely dominated uh, in his last year. You know that, and he gets the the first round draft capital, first wide receiver off the board. To me, he was the clear 102 in in every draft. Um, so I'm all in on London to me, he's a top five dynasty wide receiver at this point. I already had him in my top 10 before he even played a game. Um, That being said, really pumped up with what I saw about Wilson and Burks. Wilson coming in was my wide receiver two, Burks being my wide receiver three, and then kind of a teardrop to the rest of the group. So I'm pumped up with the other two. Wilson at this point, like I already had him slightly ahead of Burks. I have him a little more ahead of Burks now, not even because he's been that much more impressive. Like I think that Burks, like what he's done targets per route run and stuff is yes. elite. It's just the error bars are wider because he's ran like half the routes that Wilson has, right? So yes. I think what's so attractive about buying high on Wilson right now, if you can, like if there's a team that is a proven cont- I mean, Wilson often went at the 105, right? Um, in drafts. So it's entirely plausible that there are contending teams out there with Garrett Wilson on it where maybe they have an injury somewhere else or whatever. And if you can say, hey, I'll take care of Wilson. I'll give you this wide receiver who's producing, or I mean, nobody's producing more than Wilson this week, but uh, that should be producing more than Wilson for the rest of this year. Maybe you can buy high. I think it's appealing is that he already has 72 routes. So even if he kind of plateaus over the next month, like I don't think his value is going to go that far down because people are still going to look at the wider sample and be like, Oh, that's a really phenomenal start for a rookie wide receiver. He's been that good. Burke's a little bit trickier because he just has not run as many routes. So even though the sample's so good, First of all, I'm, I'm just less sure that it's real because we haven't seen that much of it. And also, if, you know, if he starts to plateau, it's this hot start that he's had dissipates. He also didn't happen to score the touchdowns. So people, I don't know if they're quite as sold. So I feel like because of that, there's probably a better chance you can get Burks high right now. That being said, I do think Wilson is decidedly over Burks from like a, how we think the market's going to react moving forward. But I'd be trying to get both. I don't know if you want to just like throw out some names really fast and I'll tell you um, who I prefer. Versus these three
0: rookies. I love it. I love it. I'm actually the same way. I I, pre-draft, pre-NFL draft, draft, I had Burks. I mean, excuse me. I had uh, Garrett Wilson as my wide receiver one. But only because I didn't know anything about draft capital, landing spot. And I just felt like Garrett Wilson was like the safest player not the best player right Hmm. now may he may end up being the best player because he looked so good but as soon as the draft happened i was with you i i was loving london i had gone back and forth with london and and burks and and garrett wilson at at wide receiver one pre-draft it was literally like i couldn't decide and i was like i really need the draft to happen to sort of settle this and of course it settled it out with you know london garrett wilson then burks and uh i i you know Yeah, I'm really happy to see Burke. By the way, Traylon Burks, 31 routes run, 11 targets. So he's earning targets. Oh, yeah. And it's not like they're force-feeding him because, as you point out, he's also making big plays every time he's targeted. So, like, right now he is looking every bit the real deal. Um, His PFF grade is 80, which is the highest on his own team. I mean, he's, he's really so far so good with Traylon Burks. I might have sold a little low. I know everybody in my in this league is listening because it's the uh, it's the undrafted listener league. Tell me what you think of this trade. Okay. I just uh, you know my team's off. It's you know what's crazy. My worst team by far is my listener league team. Like by far, <laughs> like by far. It's like it's such. a, I mean, it's not that bad, but it's pretty bad. It's basically just not ever going to win. It's got like Tom Brady, CMC, Devonte Adams, and it's like I need to I need to cut bait because it's just a deep. Roster set up, and I'm not deep enough to compete. And I've got all this aging stuff. So, anyway, long story short, I sold Devonte for Traylon Burks a second and a third.
1: Sorry, Devonta for Devont- Burks. Devonta Devonte Devonte Adams.
0: Sorry, did I say Devonte oh, Smith?
1: Well, I think you said Devonta. Maybe, uh, maybe I missed. No, Devonte anyway, Adams.
0: It feels a little like Devontae
1: Adams. For, for Burks, a second and a third?
0: Yeah, I got Burks, a second and a okay. third back.
1: And what do you think the second's going to be? Like, do you have much of a gauge?
0: I don't know. I mean, it, they're, they're, I never really think too much like it. I think the... I, I, yeah, I mean it's too early to tell because it's such a deep league. Everybody's it's also the Michael. Second. Second. Michael says it's going to be a late second in the chat. Does that mean it's Michael second? Michael knows. My, yeah. No, no, he probably is right. He's and he's also contractually now, obligated to troll. Party,
1: he's already regretting this trade. Like an hour after it went into the chat, he was like, yeah, I
0: might've sold too low. Yeah.
1: So I think this is like a fine deal. Fine. This, deal. I guess I agree. So I think it's a fine deal in the sense of like, if I've, if I've canvassed, the world and i don't think that i'm gonna get a better offer then you know i think it's fine because i think this time next year you'll probably this, this is like a better option than holding would have been
0: yeah but and, and i gotta I tell you there's if if at some point you could have gotten a little bit more somewhere. i probably could have yeah. gotten more i fucked up i actually sent out a bunch of offers and this one was probably the lightest one i sent out and it got it got accepted i like sending out strong offers like not being like Hey, about fucking give me three first, and uh, you know Garrett Wilson. I'll give you. You know people are like decline. It doesn't start the conversation. The other strategy here was chum in the water. Now, of course, they're all listening, so like fuck you. But I don't give a shit. You can listen and still know it's true. Chum in the water. Basically, I'm throwing some blood in there. People are like, oh, he's selling cheap. I better. I don't want to fucking miss the next one. Because so I was like, you guys could have fucking had this if you were just fucking paying attention to these trades. Come get them. CMC is available you know all these guys so I'm literally trying to rebuild this team where I'm just getting a ton of picks and younger players for all my guys and just like even if they're seconds and thirds I mean sometimes you know we're afraid to get seconds and thirds but when we're on the clock in a dope draft and you have like pick 18 you're like this is fucking great you know what I mean I'm getting Jahan Dotson so or whatever you know so and that was on a bad bad draft anyway you know so i'm just throwing the chum in the water trying to get some 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 action and it was a little bit of a bet on burks to be honest with you i think part of it was i was like this guy's a top 3 pick man like in a, in a rookie mm-hmm. draft like if he turns out he's the guy we want him to be if he doesn't it's a fucking snake eyes anyway i'm going to you know I, i'm going for the high upside you know opportunity here rather than you know four quarters right right that's no, that's I like the
1: play it. i mean i think burks has it's entirely possible, you know, maybe even probable. This time next year, Burks is ahead of uh Devontae Adams at Dynasty Value. So that's the
0: idea. That's the hope. Yeah. That's what I'm I'm trying that's to hit lightning in a bottle a bit because I kinda need it. You know, I, I'm I don't want four quarters for for a for a dollar. So anyway, that's a good one. So I'll give yeah, I'll give you a couple. Um all right. We'll have some fun with this. So let's have fun. Let's go. What about um just straight up, Olave or Jahan Dotson? Olave. Still, huh? I mean, Dotson.
1: A lot of it has been way more impressive. Dotson has like, I think it's like 11% uh targets per route run or something. Yeah. He's running all the routes. I mean, that's yep. great for a rookie, but, and he's fun in the end zone. I, I don't know. I think, like based on his usage for two weeks, I think Dotson is, is getting quite overrated. That being said, like, I expect his usage will probably keep going up because he's just a rookie. Yes. But if I could, like, ride the two touch so I wouldn't want to, like, cash out on Dotson just for, like, a boring vet because I think he's overrated, even though I do. Um, I just think that that's potentially still a losing bet because he can easily make himself not overrated in a couple of weeks. Yes. But if I can cash him into a rookie wide receiver that I see of higher caliber, I'm, I'm trying actively. I have a lot of Dotson, even though I didn't love him as a prospect because I just think he was drafted way too low. Like He, he fell to a perfect really spot. Early yeah. two, and I was yeah. like, well, I'm going to draft him over the rest of these scrubs. What am I going to do? Draft Christian Watson? Yes, anyway, no, no. Um, yeah. so if I can use Dotson to... Add not that much, and get Alave or Burks. That's like number one priority for me. Yeah,
0: great call. Um, what about George Pickens versus Sky Moore? Sky Moore. Okay, Sky so, Moore. You're, so you're still in on Sky.
1: Still in on Sky. I mean, to be entirely honest, like I'd rather. We didn't expect Sky to play a ton early on. I thought he'd I was going to ask Sky more Moore
0: or Jahan Dotson. Sky Moore.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that's cool. where it's going, but that right? one But that one I'm actually way more okay taking the Dotson slide of because I think that Dotson has insulated his value more because right. he's already had the early touchdowns, whereas, like, Pickens, I don't think it's, like, over for Pickens or anything, but I would actually rather have Sky Moore start where he just hasn't played that much yet as a round two pick versus Pickens, they played him on the field, and he's done totally nothing,
0: yeah. right? So, like, I, I would... I kind of predicted this with Pickens, too. I said I hated Pickens for a redraft this year because, you know, some rookies you can see it coming, but, like, you have Trubisky. Like, literally, I just want to ask anybody who's ever watched football, paid any attention to football, done anything with the NFL ever, have you ever seen Trubisky be an effective outside the numbers down the field thrower? Like, that's not – I mean, I'm not betting on that outcome. With that shitbag offensive line – no chance. And then the other alternative is a rookie. I just didn't, li- you know, pick it. I didn't like his outcomes uh, for this season. I think he still might be a good player, but I think he's a good player that maybe like, you know, uh, like Devonte Parker fantasy production, but good at football guy. Like you know, where it's like, eh, yeah, sure, yeah, I could see that for sure. What what about what about um, what about Sky Moore versus Chris Olave?
1: uh at this point i would take a Lave. i yeah. mean he's he's earning a lot of targets he's the round one pick values more insulated um yeah like i'm i'm at the point where sky more where like i'm not necessarily that worried and i'm probably tr- more likely to buy him than sell him but admittedly not a not a good start for like his market insulation and my biggest fear with rookies is i don't like holding them to zero yeah so i would rather I have a Lave.
0: what about uh Jalen Tolbert or a bag of moldy onions.
1: <laughs> when you started with the Jalen Tolbert, I was literally going to be like, "I'd rather have like the roster spot." Um, so, <laughs> oh my god, dude,
0: what is going on?
1: I've never been less surprised by anything in my life. Uh, shocking that a that a bad prospect who didn't produce yes. until late in his career at From a South small Alabama. School. Who was drafted in the third round? Kidding. Isn't good. I, I can't. Who
0: could have seen this coming? I mean, who have this guy ahead of freaking Garrett Wilson in baseball was ridiculous. Oh my god! Yeah, no. Uh, look, for me, it was all about opportunity. We saw the. It was and and toward the end of it. I, by the way, I'm the Jalen Tolbert guy, so I'll take the L. Oh, but, I know.
1: I'm needling you here. No,
0: it's okay. Day. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's it's opportunity, and toward the end, right. when when you start hearing it, I was like, Hey, just so you know, Noah Brown. I was like, Noah Brown. It's one of these two guys, and sure enough. Jalen Tolbert's inactive and Noah Brown, uh, two consecutive, you know, 10 plus fantasy point outings. I mean, it's just the opportunity. Even with Cooper Rush, as a matter of fact, Cooper Rush looks pretty good, but I'm not going to go there. But, um, you know, I heard uh, Bill Simmons. Are you familiar familiar with the Ewing Theory? Yeah, I'm familiar with
1: Bill Simmons. Yeah. Oh, the Ewing Theory. Dax, the Ewing Theory.
0: Yes. Yes. He did. Uh, He did. uh, uh,
1: Yes. I'm just saying, are we sure Dax can? Are we sure? Yeah, it's annoying
0: as fuck. But the Ewing theory. Is that a good Simmons impression. I'm, yeah, it's I'm good enough. That. He's an, That's annoying. That's annoying. But the the <laughs> the uh, the the Ewing theory being applied to Dak Prescott is the absolute correct application. Yeah, it's yeah. It's it's so true. Like they're gonna go to the Super Bowl or playoffs. You yeah, it's gonna be good. anyway. Well. Um, Any other, I mean, is, is there any hope for Jalen Tolbert at this point? Seriously? I mean, it feels like no, honestly.
1: No, I mean, I came in like the only hope that I was giving him coming in was just like the same hope that I'd give to any rookie, which is just that some, uh, there's more of a chance that I'm completely wrong about a rookie evaluation than I am about a veteran evaluation. So that's right. Um, Sure, there's a chance, but uh, I think now there's probably not a chance. I mean, it, no, he, it feels he, so he, bad. You he got healthy over a guy named Dennis Houston. So that's yes.
0: not good. <laughs> it's no, it it can't be worse. It's like, I mean, I, I I can't even believe that it's this bad because, yeah, it's just brutal. You got so, dropped in a
1: dynasty league that I'm in with a co manager, and the co manager's like, oh, we should go pick up Jalen Tolbert. I was like, no, actually, <laughs>
0: I think I'm good. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, that's that, that, that hangs a big, shiny diamond encrusted l right around my neck
1: yeah we could have Uh, dropped daryl williams for him i just thought i'd rather have daryl williams
0: oh yeah no i I mean in a lot of ways yeah i mean look tolbert still something but i mean it is it is it is net look we say this every time there's like the gatekeeper mike lou used to say this on the show it's just the gatekeeper every checkpoint it's like oh you were drafted in the third round check right he was a he was a, a prolific downfield player check small school not check you know, it's like late declare not check. Okay, late producer not check. It's like okay, well he's get some of these checks, and then it's like opportunity in front of him in a high powered offense. Check, you know, good uh, summer camp or you know spring spring ball. Check, and then it's like no, 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 no. So you're right. just hoping for these. Now that he's not literally making it onto the field on a team bereft of of bereft of uh, wide receivers is the most awful data point you yeah. could put on a player See, like, it's just Tolbert the worst is
1: the kind of bet that i would have loved to make if like Gallup was healthy and cooper was still on the team where then i could have made the bet really cheap and be like yeah. oh i'll get this guy who like has some production who's super athletic um and he's like in a situation in which the the targets might not be immediately available but like if he's good, then eventually he'll find his way onto the field. And then he's in a situation with a really high skill. So, like the guy that I was taking in every rookie draft was Romeo Dobbs because I, at the t- and this was pre all the hype, but this yeah. was like back in the summer when he was like a late third, early fourth, I was like, well, like, yeah, he's probably fourth or fifth on the depth chart now. And he might be totally nothing, but it's like, he's an athletic guy. Uh, he runs downfield routes. He has the size. And even if the immediate opportunity isn't there, like contingent on him actually being good, then the opportunity is really there because he has Aaron Rodgers. There's nobody that's obviously in the way. Whereas Tolbert, it was like the immediate opportunity pushed him up boards because, but like, I just don't really care that much about the immediate opportunity. Right. It's like, I, it's like, if you're good, then you'll be good. If you're bad, then you'll be bad. So to me, like, I don't really move guys that much based on what's immediately out in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's more about the macro opportunity and the macro opportunity. I saw being similar with, with Dobbs um, who, I mean, I understand he was drafted a later, but I actually, no, that's a true production profile he produced earlier.
0: Yeah that that's true in dynasty and sometimes though I like to do the thing where you get that immediate production and then you flip it you know cuz there was there were probably there was a time actually where you probably could have flipped Tolbert at the right time. I mean, there was a window. You just wouldn't have yeah. seen the floor coming. Oh. You know, the 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 cliff of not being active. We've I took won. him twice in rookie drafts, and neither time did he even make it through the end of the rookie draft. Like
1: I like tra- I got him in rookie drafts. Right. The first time I drafted him, he, like smart. To, like the he fell to like the early or into the mid third. That's smart. I'd never. I had never been drafting Tolbert, but I'd seen him go earlier another other times. So I was like, okay, I'll yes. take him here because it's later. And then immediately, like two guys just like, I want Jalen Tolbert. I was like, all right, uh, And
0: then one guy gave me like a twenty-four-two for There like, you go. Right. That's right. That's smart that's okay. I actually love those. That's right. Selling the hotness. Beautiful. All right. Well, I'm hanging the L I'm going to go. This has been an amazing show. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Jacob, tell everybody where they can find you and, uh, and what you're doing. Cause you're doing a lot of shit, bro. Tell everybody <laughs> where you're at.
1: Hell yeah, man. This is super, super fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, FF underscore RTDB. You can find me in the Bulletproof Discord. You can find me in the Full Tilt Discord. You can find me on the Full Tilt Dynasty podcast every Tuesday. You can find me tonight and every Wednesday for Fantasy Intervention. Um, with Shane, that's the more redraft-focused seasonal show. You can find me on Friday if you're a DFS person. Me and Chase for The Big Tilt. That's on the Roto Underworld podcast network. And then tomorrow, I'm uh, guesting on a couple shows. Neither will be live. I think they'll go on Friday. But I'm doing The Launchpad with Dave Kluge. Uh, and then I'll be on Sharp Angles with Rich Rebar.
0: Holy smokes. That's a lot. By the way, Rich Rebar, pretty close to the goat. He's so great. Yeah. yeah no, he's the, he's the fucking man. Well, thank you for coming on. You were awesome. We had a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, everybody loved the show. So thank you. And on behalf of everybody here, At The Undrafted, on behalf of everybody here at The Undroppables, on behalf of the greatest producer the world has ever known, Mr. Michael P. Duncan, you are joined by Mr. Jacob Sanderson. And this is Jax Falcone, and we are...